Julie Larson thinks you actually use the Break Drink Instagram account. <laughs> I Tri forgot we had one. I know. That's why I talk about you on there, because you don't know or remember we have one. So, how's it going? What's up? It goes. It's like Thursday at the almost end of April, and I don't even know where April rent went, so... So, are you sure you don't want to come to AERA? I kind of do, but I don't have the funds or resources. It's next week, right? Yeah. And you're going it, to learn. It seems to be the most affordable of any conference I'm going any national conference I'm going to. They're well known for research, so the American Educational Research Association is what Jeffrey is talking about. And they are well known and have the most reputable journal, educational researcher. If you get research, empirical research in there, you're the bomb in the nerd, scholarly, and shit world. Hear that, Gary? <laughs> More so than Ash. Yeah, they're ranked higher in the Scopus. And you and I have talked about Scopus, but like the ranking of all the journals that are indexed through every type of discipline and all that jazz. But for K-12, higher ed, um, post-secondary research, I think it's been the going place in space for that. Um, Ash, they have a journal or just a conference? They, I'm sure they have journals. Um, I know they do Ash Readers, too, which are little mini-books on specific topics. Mm -hmm. um, but, yeah, I... Are you looking it up? Yeah, like, it's funny. So, yeah. I typically search Scopus as a database. People use, like, Web of Science or EBSCO. But I also search, if you go to Scopus, and we may have talked about this on some other chat but it kind of ranks how long they've been around as a journal um and this is journal specific so we, the conference you're going to has conference proceedings which are great um i'm i have never gone to aera or the there's a southwest edition of that by the way there's a regional edition that you could go to because you're in texas but i do know just from other things going there, like my papers have been and other people have presented, I do know that it is a good space to network and say you're looking for a faculty position and your colleagues that are tenure or full faculty give out that you're not going. Um, it's because you really do some networking to meet people and they can learn what your research is about and have dialogue. So people really value that face-to-face -face and AERA would be the place to go. So I should be going, but I'm not. I was surprised on how much professional school research there is and the people who will be teaching or presenting about medical education was pretty, uh, was pretty big. Yeah, they have, um, as you say, professional, there's also other practitioners that go in the area. So you're medicine focused, but there's every other kind of practitioner and education related. So it'd be law to social work to other disciplines that have um, finishing degrees at the master's and uh, other level, master's and up, let's just say. Yeah, so whatever their, you know, people in practice, some people have knowledge communities or whatever it is that they have, 
uh, AERA has a professional uh, professional schools category. And that's open for any kind of school. Like there, there's lots of medicine, it sounds, but so the educational researcher has been going on since 2009, um, and it gives kind of like the ranking per year. So if you get into this journal, um, I'm just scrolling through here. It's a journal type, gives a history. Um, American Educational Research Association is where it's connected to. It's in the U.S. It classifies under social science. Just scrolling over my little spreadsheet here. And yeah, they have, every discipline goes into it, but they have a ranking of, I have an older one here. It looks like from 2012, a 2.5 on the index. That's pretty good. Which is good for education. Yeah. It's pretty high, actually. So most education journals might flux between 0.56 up to, um, yeah, 2.5 or 3. That's probably as high as I've seen it. Yeah. yeah. When you get into, like, scientific journals, you may have up in the 30s, but... We're, the, we're, those we're are on different scales. But, yeah, you make a good point. For social science or education, they're going to look a little different than the life sciences, health sciences, biochemistry... Which becomes a problem if you uh, if you get a phone call. Answer your phone. Oh. Okay, I'm back. Were you going to say it becomes a problem if you're uh, injured? disciplinary working or research yeah so let's say you're a microbiologist and that's mm -hmm. where most of your research has been and as you've been an educator for a while you're interested in training people of diverse populations to pursue sciences and be a microbiologist so you have some interest in doing uh education research right and mm -hmm. so all of a sudden if you like research on teaching and learning becomes a focus and you want to study how you can effectively do that maybe in small groups, online, or with experiential learning, and you want to test your curriculum almost, but also research at the same time. And they want to publish about something in life, life sciences, biochem, things like that. Right. And if, and if you publish in education journals versus the hard, hard science journals, their factor is far lower and if you're in the tenure process, it could it could be bad. I guess it could be harmful, and this just depends on what institution you're at. It depends on how your tenure plan has been set up, right? So is, are, is education journals okay for you uh, to publish in? And then some people, some of the old timers, may just not view education journals as scholarly enough to give you credit or points towards your, your tenure application. Right. So every kind of discipline and or department depends on who looks at your tenure and promotion process. So they might look at three different things in terms of scholarship. It'll be teaching, research, and service. And some are not always weighted in that order. So in research, they might rank journals within their discipline. But what I've seen more than not, because I live in a unique college as well as department, that we have a lot of interdisciplinary overplay. And I also research with um, data scientists from the College of Business that study 
big data, data analytics, to my information science and library friends. We have some kind of cross um, interest to publish because we have similar topics. And my peer, Nick, um, who I work with a lot, who is probably the lead in text mining that I learned from, he works with everyone from real estate to law to sociology. Um, he can typically find a journal based on it, their Scopus ranking that would be appropriate, that would be recognized, because they have different kind of classes of journals. So A, B, C kind of rankings of journal. The top tier is what they aim for, and you get X points. And their college, for example, the College of Business is a bit more on a matrix. They do a lot of what counts literally in numbers. So what quantitatively have you published in the year that is a journal, prim primarily conference proceeding, versus engineering, they actually have a lot more conference proceedings. They usually put things out a lot quicker, and that usually comes from the annual conference, versus a journal could take anywhere from, uh, I wish, six months, but six months to three years sometimes, right. depending on the process. So so tell me about your, your, your process of publishing. So you know you're going to do a study. Um, before you start that study, are you familiar with uh, the journals uh, you want to publish in and what type of methodologies they typically use or what type of rigor do they typically go over? Or do you do a study and you figure that out on the back end? Both. Um, so typically it depends on who I'm working with, but I have a preference to do a deeper dive into the empirical literature first because I think this is something that I actually never really did really well in grad school, but now that I'm finished a PhD, you have the time to do well, which is do a complete systematic search on a topic and look at all the empirical, so primarily journals, conference proceedings. I might skim dissertations, but I'm really just looking at peer-reviewed scholarly work in that area because people have a, a way of going about saying... There's nothing in X area, so I'm going to start that. And I, it's probably not true. It's probably called something else or there's a different label. So yeah. I've done a lot of, in my last yeah three years post-graduation, I've done a lot of systematic searching on topics just to see what's out there, um, code a topic. So the example is I'm working with the school librarian, um, the association of part of American Library Association, and we're looking at malleable or causal factors that school librarians have in the K-12 realm. First of all, we're like, what's a malleable factor? Like, what impacts success for a learner in K-12? What are some of the issues? So we, like, went back to 1965 to present to look at the breadth of um, Scopus primarily, but to search what are the topics. And I have this, like, crazy coding thing that we did for like, it, we spent two to three months just looking at and identifying factors. Um, so it's pretty wild. But we came from a list of like 120 factors, co codes, let's just say we came from the literature to identify just specific things that we would search for that are connected to school librarians. So examples could be, I'm trying to think, what, what, what do we come up with for search terms? So Everything could be everything from success to readiness to class size to child development, parent death, parental involvement, that sort of thing. And then what we did was search for school librarian. They just do it with a little star. Um, so that counts for librarians, library, libraries, all the other versions. 
and then searched from, yeah, 1965 or 85 to present and started looking. So that, I have like a spreadsheet, a crazy badass spreadsheet I should share with you. It's about 109 lines. And on that, that's just like starting to find some of the literature that's out there. It's not duplicate. And then we just started going through and seeing, yeah, what you asked. Who's looking at it? Where are they looking at it from? Like what geographic region? What um, area of education? Like, is it elementary? Is it secondary? Post? And then also looking at if it's a journal, a conference proceeding, what kind of methods they're doing, how they're collecting data, how they're analyzing data before I make an assumption. So this is one way takes a lot of um, work, but it gives you an idea of what people are doing and what people aren't doing. And then you realize how much crappy research gets published and you should be publishing. So, yeah. There's some bad Um, research out there. Yeah, that's pretty intense. Yeah. But the other way you could do is you're in a smaller discipline or domain. You could search... The journals within your specific domain like this was to we want to look broader than the school librarian or information science domain so that's why we chose that route but let's say you're focusing on like a specific area if you want to look at student affairs um, also called student personnel higher ed practice adult learning or um, there's different terms used in different countries so if you want to search that broadly um, I, I gotta say, mesh terms are really hard to use. It's so hard searching yeah. higher education and student affairs because it's also called post secondary. It's also called tertiary. It's also called like there's lots of other names looking yeah. for how people and support like, students. And, an, and because and this the realm of research student affairs is very a very very small research topic, and so. Like student affairs as a research topic almost uh, is not a mesh term, and so you have to get into like student support services, or which right. I know that's not really the same thing, but in the terms of like journal indexing, it may be. It is in other countries, so that's what you have to think. So student affairs is a U.S. centric term. And so if you want to scope that, you might want to include student services is often used, student support, student advice in Australia, um, peer tutoring in the U.K., which is equivalent to their academic advising. They're not going to call it all the same thing, but it's helping students outside a quote-unquote classroom or a learning environment that's also connected to curriculum and a grade. And what does that mean? Um, Helping with, working with, and developing outside and it's not going to be as easy so yeah um depending on what you're looking at and what area i i typically do um scopus i look at um forward referencing search so do my references also include something that i should be including in the database of articles um i also look at gray matter so i use Google Scholar will pick up some other things. So like there might be, there used to be a couple um, journals that were not part of a database. So like Jolt, which is now the online learning journal from Online Learning Consortium, they used to be its own journal, not, and it wasn't archived with the other um, databases, which you have to do when you start a journal, or you're supposed to do so it can be found. But there's a few others like Educause, 
review sometimes does not always go into the Scopus search. So there's some other kind of kind of reports or things you might find. Like my K-12 educators will use the What Works Clearinghouse, which is a vetted clearinghouse of resources, articles, typically evidence-based, giving different kind of ranking scores. And they'll give metrics, everything from students with lunch or with without lunch, different SES, different grade levels, and then interventions that were done. How many um, how many projects are you do you have going at one time? Uh, I don't really want to talk about that right now. Um, <laughs> <laughs> no, I have a few. Uh, so I probably have like eight to twelve at a given time. Not okay. all are doing the same thing, or they're not on the same period, or example so I probably I've had projects that and this is what this is what happens when you start research and then you start putting things to journals or you put things to other publications um you kind of have different pipelines for your projects and some of them are under review in the journal and some are still collecting data and some are analyzing so um I have different kind of research pipelines on different threads even and some of them aren't connected as much, but some of my methods or how I store data, organize information are all the same. So I know where to find them and I know where I'm at for each kind of project. Okay. So how I, many submissions do you do a year? Uh, I can look at my CV. I probably put out for journal articles. Yeah. I probably put at least, so for journal articles, I was told some advice from a, colleague of mine, um, Dr. Kim Nyman, she's fantastic. She was a quantitative editor. I may have told you about her for human, human resource quarterly or HRD review. Uh -huh. And she says it best. You should always have ones in progress, ones in review and ones to be edited and kind of developed. So I probably have about eight in, under review right now. I probably have, um, one, two, three, four, for developed, I have to edit two and resubmit somewhere. Um, yeah, so that and you're not tenure track, right? No, I'm not. Do you have hopes to be? Um, I don't know. That's a good question. Um, maybe. For, that's a that's a different career career podcast. No, it's it's not. So people ask like my so my mentor Nick calls me a thirsty lecturer. So yes, I'm not on the tenure track. However, I'm at an institution that's an R1, so we are encouraged to do do research um, as well. And lots of probably some more lecturers that are in my. I'm in a different kind of tenure process. That there is lecturer, senior lecturer, principal. But we don't really get any recognized award for scholarship per yeah. se. Some of my scholarship has been on teaching because that's my area, teaching and learning online. So it it gets looked at by the um, our peer review kind of committee in our department and college. And then I have like some of those senior faculty because we have a lot of professors, full and regents professors um, in my department. So they've kind of been... Like last week at our college retreat, they were kind of like, why aren't you looking at tenure track? And I said, probably unless I had a position that was in an information school or, or dual appointment. So I kind of dropped the hint that if there happened to be a tenure track open and you really want us to cross 
collaborate between departments, I would love a dual appointment between a couple departments. And you're seeing a bit more of those. And that's like when you ask, how do you negotiate publications? Yeah, you mix it up. Your home yeah. department evaluates you. They will look to your other peers in the field and say, list your journals that you recognize or conferences. So like mine would say probably AECT, really not an impressive website, but well-known for communication, technology, and education. Um, so that's the, the conference you want to be publishing at or at. And then AERA is another okay. one conference. All right, I wrote yeah. there. Thanks. Hey, looking on for one second? Yeah. Actually, you got two minutes. Yeah. Okay, I'm back. Yeah, so your question about tenure, I don't know if I care about tenure. I care about where I work and the opportunities I have where I work. So I, I like it where I am right now. I'm in the midst of, it's hard to leave when you're in the midst of a couple of research projects when you have ethics review, the IRB hosted at your institution slash yeah. two to eight other institutions <laughs> agreements. So I'm trying to wrap up what I have. And I just agreed, I signed a contract for another year with us because I was on a three-year continuing term and so I'm continuing. Woo. I didn't realize that UNT was a research one, whatever they call it now. An R1, yeah. We just got that status last year. They have so. new names now. It's like... No, it... Oh yeah, Carnegie is what you're looking at? Yeah. yeah. It's like... Like high research, PhD granting or something like that. Yeah, I can't remember what the Carnegie equivalents are, but yeah. The high, highest research activity is what's... Yeah. Or R1 research universities in the Carnegie classifications. Yeah, so I hope that means we are getting some more resources because I don't know. I'm fortunate that I have a part-time job at another school that has access to some of these resources like the Scopus and other databases and other things like that, articles, because I think that makes a big difference if, difference if you are researching and part of a research one. There's only 115 institutions that are classified as R1, apparently. Good. I think every public school in Texas is, is trying to get that. that. Yeah, that was our goal for a while, and I know that's why we brought in our president. So, yep. Uh, I, I think... He has Houston achieved that recently? University of Houston? Um, I can do a quick look. Yes, they have. Yes. Okay. That's well, that's relatively new. Yeah, we're on par. Um, we have similar enrollments to Houston. They do have a... Oh, we have a medical school too, I guess. So that's... They have a similar undergrad population. So they would be our competitor in the state for some of the same um, enrollments or students demographic-wise as well as just interest in programs and... Things like that, degrees. So I think 10 years ago, there were only, I know we're getting off topic, but mm -hmm. 10 years ago, there's like only three tier one institutions in the state. I believe this is correct. It was, yeah. it was uh, A&M, University of Texas, and Rice. Mm -hmm. Only two of those are public. And so there was a lot of pressure to, for more public institutions to become tier one. UTSA is on the path to coming that way here in San Antonio. University of Houston has done it recently. I, and now UNT has done it recently. And then a lot of other public institutions have uh, increased their their rankings that they weren't like, well, you should be tier three. Like they're now, we have more tier three and tier two institutions than we had before too. Yeah. And so UT Dallas and UT Arlington are also in throwing distance for me. So I'm 50 minutes from 
UT Dallas, 30 minutes from UT Arlington. They're also R1. Like we've just increased um, capacities at a bunch of these schools in this area, which is kind of neat. And also kind of wild that we have like so many large public research one universities just in the area. Forget about our college, community college system. That's kind of yeah. enormous, but we also are growing area. So we went from, I live in Dallas. So the Dallas Fort Worth or the Metroplex, they call it, went from 8 million to 9.1 in the last year, year and a half. And we're just going to keep growing apparently. So yeah, all of Texas is growing pretty rapidly. We have the space. I guess that's fine. Um, yeah. <clears throat> um, so we're going to continue to talk about different kinds of publications and how to start the process. But because I know we want to do this for um, the Takuspa conferences here in Dallas in the fall of 2017. And Jeff will tell you the dates because he knows he's on the executive. And well, it's he, the first weekend in October. First week in October. Okay. Like third, fifth, something like that. Okay. Because I kind of want to offer like a debunking for academic writing and the process because I don't think a lot of people get their feet wet or even do peer review or even know kind of what to expect when you submit something or how to write to an, a journal or pick a journal and then look at what they have and if your material is appropriate, not only for scope or topic, but also will it fit like their genre of articles? Oh, and I think we need to, and the author of this book, um, The Guide to Becoming a Scholarly Practitioner in Student Affairs. What is the that author, one? The author is Lisa Hatfield and Vicki Weiss. I believe this just came out. Oh, okay. And I say I think it just came out because I just purchased it. So, of course, it couldn't have come out before. I might have a gift uh, for you, by the way. I have two of these books on becoming an academic writer. Yeah. So, I'm part of a writing group my campus and we typically do shut up and write days and we have books that are bought for us like how to write a journal article in 12 weeks to writing and um there's a bunch of writing books and stuff that i'm looking back there at on my shelf but we can pick apart i'd like to hear that book that you have so yeah so this came out in 2015 so it's still pretty new for student affairs let's yeah see. So I, I I think Vicky Wise is at Portland State and has, does their assessment and research at Portland State for the department. Okay. And Lisa Hatfield is the um, I believe the Health Science Center in Oregon. Cool. Maybe we can get I, them on to chat about the book. Yeah, and I I and planning to read that next and so it appears to be a pretty quick uh, a quick read what's the name of the book again say it one more time um, a guide to becoming a scholarly practitioner in student affairs okay part of that is also getting time to do that that's the other issue yeah that's why i'm interested in in reading it because my problem is it's not that i'm not encouraged or i don't i'm not given time to do it is i don't necessarily take enough time to do it or maybe it's not that you aren't taking enough time it's just you're not thinking about it in chunks i guess yeah so like i do shut up and write times about three to four times a week that i block off an hour two hours but 
they're used for different things for writing. So some of them might be looked to code data, some might look to just do searching for articles, or some might be like structuring a paper that I'm going to write for a journal article. So I, I, I will say though, I do have a few projects happening that's going to be scholarly publication at some point. A colleague is presenting a, a poster for us right now at a, at a conference in uh, DC, which I wasn't able to attend. So I'm doing scholarly stuff. We just haven't got to the point of like a, to submit more of a larger publication yet because we wanted to have multiple years of data. So, well, what you said is right. Like research takes time. So yeah. I had this. Well, I, I did a pseudo rant, not like a Jeff Lale rant. Um, but like I, I really think for you to have solid evidence, it takes longitudinal studies, um, enough evidence and data before you come up and give answers. Because I think far too often we rely on, I don't know, smaller numbers, specific data sets or populations. And I don't think we can speak or generalize as much as we can in those areas. Yeah, I agree. Well, sir, speaking of not generalizing and gain more data, I have to go do some research interviewing right now. But... Um, we will chat soon, and I'm going to read this book now. It's just ordered, so. Okay. All right. I'll talk to you later. See ya. Peace. Peace.